A new film reveals the true untold story of the most famous and controversial court case in American history. Discover more in our interview with evangelist Alveda King on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs together with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we're glad to join you today. A new film about the U.S. Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, aims to tell the truth about the controversial case that legalized abortion in America. Roe v. Wade gives all of us an inside look at what we really don't know about the historic case. Evangelist Alveda King, director of civil rights for the unborn for Priests for Life, joins us today to talk about the film. Welcome to A View from the Wall. Thank you for this opportunity. God bless you. Talk a little bit about how Planned Parenthood started and the people behind it. Planned Parenthood was founded by a group of people who were looking for a select opportunity to be a superior class of people. That included the issue of skin color, for example. Racism, that there are separate races, even though we know that there's one human race and one blood, and that the skin color only denotes ethnicity. There was another group that wanted to control the nature of humanity. And so they would decide who would have babies, when people would have babies, how to help people not have babies, and all of those types of things. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was preeminent in that group, highly respected. She even gave speeches uh, for the Ku Klux Klan, the women of the Ku Klux Klan, for example. She called certain categories of people human weeds and said they needed to be exterminated and controlled. And so she was a eugenicist, and she wanted to just uh, control the population of humanity with genocide. And in that construct, Planned Parenthood or the Birth Control League was formed. She and her colleagues were uh, committers of genocide, racism, and eugenics. And so that is how Planned Parenthood actually started. Alveda, one of the things that we know today, we think of the Supreme Court as liberal or conservative. What was it like in 1973 when this decision went through? Was it a a liberal Supreme Court? How did this decision come about? The Supreme Court in 1973 was very complex. Many of them have been courted by and were involved with the agenda of Planned Parenthood. At least three of the justices, we know that Thurgood Marshall, for instance, supported the agenda of Planned Parenthood. Two of the other justices had family members that were either volunteers or affiliated with Planned Parenthood. So it was a very complex group of men at the time. Contrary to what people think, not all white men. You had an African-American man or a Negro man on the court at the time. So it, I don't know, I don't like labels so much, liberal or conservative, even de- Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, Tea Party. All of those are important, but when we get our identifications from being in those groups, 
then I'm more identified with God Almighty as a creative Christian evangelist. I want people to be very clear. So people should do what's right regardless of their political affiliations. Also, skin color, ethnicity. That does not denote separate races. There's one human race. I write about that in my book with Ginger Howard. We're not colorblind. We're one human race. So the babies in the womb are human beings, the poor, the sick, the elderly, the rich, the middle class, ethnically, and we can see skin color. Our ethnicity denotes our skin color, denotes that sometimes. But we're supposed to celebrate that, not try to destroy each other because of it. Well, that's well said. We want to take a moment to talk about the story of the girl behind the suits, Norma McCorvey. How did she end up in the biggest Supreme Court case in U.S. history? I think Betty Friedan and all the players that were supporting abortion and wanted abortion to be legal everywhere. Abortion was already legal in some instances in New York already in 1973, but they wanted a nationwide legality, so to speak. And so... Uh, the players at that time were working to find people that they could have to as poster child, opposed to children. So we had Norma McCorvey in Roe v. Wade. There's also Dovey Bolton. That's not mentioned in the Roe v. Wade movie, but you can look that up. Those two women were duped. They never really got an abortion. Norma thought about wanted one, but they drug it out. She had the baby. And so did Sandra Kano. So they needed uh, someone to bring the case forward on. The same thing happened with Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was the poster child for the medical community on the Roe v. Wade case. And he later, after he saw an ultrasound and thought about the abortion of his own child. And so he thought about it and he said, this is wrong. But Kano, uh, McCorvey, and Nathanson were not able to get that case reversed, even though they know that they have been used and tricked and duped. Talk a little bit about the film itself. You were involved as one of the executive producers along with Troy Duhon. What was the motivation behind getting involved in the film? Tell us a little bit about the making of it, some of the controversies that were involved. The film was a no-brainer for me. I was rescued from abortion in 1950. My mom was pregnant with me. She wanted a legal DNC procedure where they did exploratory surgery to see what was wrong with your stomach if you said you had a stomach ache, okay? But it was really an abortion. So my granddaddy said, she's not a lump of flesh. That's the baby. That's my granddaughter. I saw her in a dream three years ago. She has bright skin, bright red hair. She's going to bless many people. So prophetically, I was prophesied away from abortion, and I'm 70 years old today. So it was a no-brainer, even though I had had secret abortions myself in the 70s, and a botched abortion had given me some serious medical problems, but I was that was re- repaired surgically. So I actually birthed six living children. Some women who have abortions become sterile, can never have another baby. The Negro Project paid for sterilizations of black men and women, and it still does. And Title X had money in it, probably might still have it, where you can get cheap vasectomies and uh tubal ligations and things if you're black or indigent or poor. So all of that was happening when Roe v. Wade was passed into law. I became pro-life in 1983. When I became a born-again Christian, I repented of all my sins. And yes, abortion is a sin, but it's not irredeemable. God has forgiven me. I'm healed. I'm a whole. 
So we have to remember that too and not condemn the people that were tricked. Okay. So now today, understanding all that, when a few years ago, Nick Loeb, who created Roe v. Wade, and Kathy Allen, his associate, they worked together real closely. I came in as an executive producer, not just as a fundraiser, although I did help to raise funds, uh, but as an advisor to the film. And I have a role in the film as Guthrie Jefferson, the mother of Dr. Mildred Faye Jefferson, the first African-American woman to graduate from Harvard School of Medicine and the second president of National Right to Life. She has passed on, but she's one of my human heroes. Yeah, she's had such a great story, and she's not as well-known simply because as an African-American woman, she was a conservative, which in, in today's news, a lot of times that is something that people simply will not tolerate. But her story is a fascinating one to highlight. Talk a little bit more about her. Well, Dr. Jefferson devoted a lot of her life for fighting for life, and uh, she worked very, very hard. Uh, she married during her lifetime, but she never birthed children. I think she might have enjoyed having done that. The role is portrayed by Stacey Dash, who researched Dr. Jefferson thoroughly and did a great job in portraying her. So I encourage people to make sure that you see the film. And there's an opportunity, I believe, if you go to RoeVWadeMovie.com, you can make a donation. And then you can get the right to screen the movie, to have a streaming group or something like that as a fundraiser. I think that's another opportunity to help your pro-life mission uh, if you will do that. So those are some of the things. But as the daughter of Reverend A.D. King and Mrs. Naomi King, who chose life for me in 1950, in tribute to my grandfather, in tribute to my uncle, Martin Luther King Jr., who said the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the futures of his children for immediate personal comfort and safety, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. When you value the human personality, you won't kill anybody. Uh, I thought it was just natural for me to be involved in the film. For those who say, well, Martin Luther King would have supported abortion, he got the Margaret Sanger Award in 1966. Well, technically he didn't. His wife went and accepted, read a speech that somebody else wrote. His secretary wrote the thank you letter. And if Martin Luther King Jr. knew that his name was going to be associated with a process that has legally killed over 60 million American babies, people, human beings in the womb. I don't think he would sign off on that. Alvita, the movie brings out very well how there were fabricated polls, completely false, in quotation, facts, fake news, basically, that helped to sway public opinion and make this decision possible in 1973. People are talking about overturning Roe v. Wade. How could we make that possible if conditions with fake news and all of the things we talked about are even worse today than they were in 1973? Well, I'm going to answer this and let this be my final response because I want people to really think about it. Abortion, racism, sexual perversion, all of that. Those things are available to us when we don't understand that we are one human race one blood designed to be brothers and sisters. If we protest peacefully, of course, that's a good thing. If we boycott without God guiding and directing, we don't have success. But when we invite God into our processes and begin to learn to love and appreciate each other as a one blood human race, then we will have more success. 
I believe that Nick Loeb and Kathy Allen are totally right. People need to, they have the right to know how this really bad law made abortion legal in America. My goal in life is not simply to overturn Roe v. Wade, but to encourage people to appreciate, regard, and respect human life from the womb to the tomb. Amen. It's well said. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Joe, it's been fascinating talking with Evangelist King regarding Roe v. Wade. She had such a powerful influence as one of the executive producers. She's had much of her life committed to the pro-life movement. We want to talk a little bit now about some of the details regarding the case as well as the film. I think many people listening who are pro-life are unaware of some of these details. For example, the case of Roe v. Wade was actually heard twice. The first time was in 1971 with seven judges, and then again in 1972 with nine judges. And interestingly, two of the justices had family members working for Planned Parenthood. That's one of the facts they talk about on the RoeVWadeMovie.com website. There's an entire section there I encourage people to check out called Fact Check on Roe v. Wade, the film at RoeVWadeMovie.com. They have an entire backstory of what they talk about in the film. But talk a little bit more, Joe, about some of the things that stood out to you about the film and about the case as we were talking to Well, so many of the facts that came out afterward, like she discussed, the fact that the girl didn't actually go through with the abortion. By the time the case went to the Supreme Court, she had uh, the child. So even the people who were involved in the case didn't, in many cases, believe in that. Dr. Nathanson um, narrated in 1984, narrated the documentary Silent Scream, in which they discuss the process of abortion and the fact that many doctors don't even see what they're doing. Quite literally, they're they're operating with a blind procedure. So it's as if they're not really touching a human life when they do that. And I think this movie brings out a lot of the facts, some of them very controversial, but many of the facts that people don't know about how we got to where we are. And when they find out, I think a lot of people are going to be pretty angry. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Dr. Nathanson's story here in a moment. One of the things that frustrated me the most as I read about some of the background is that there were numerous rabbis as well as Protestant clergy who were shown in the movie as promoting abortion, including illegal abortions at the time. And if you look into the history of that, that really was the case. If you continue to research it a little bit, after Roe v. Wade was decided, the group that was involved with that expanded to 40 states involving more than 1,400 clergy and rabbis. Amazingly, the group was a recipient of the philanthropic support of the Playboy Foundation. Can you believe that? Uh, that We're talking about the National Association to Repeal Abortion Laws, or NARAL, as it's talked about sometimes. They included numerous rabbi and clergy on its board of directors. This is a phenomenal thing that most people aren't aware of. So there are many within the church or within the religious establishment who are part of supporting the pro-choice side. And it's a, a, a really a dark side of the church that many people don't like to talk about today. I don't know how you could arrive at a conclusion that the procedure, which was, as Alveda pointed out, established to weed out certain races and ethnicities. How could you support that idea, first of all, especially in the woke generation we're in now where that's not even acceptable socially. But in addition to that, the fact that as Christians, the very foundation of our existence is human life. And 
we're talking about abortion, which ends a human life. There's whether you argue that it's, you know, in the womb or conception doesn't matter. No matter what, they're not killing a puppy. So it's a human life. And if you take that human life, then you have violated the very foundation of God's creation where he breathed into man his own spirit and man became a living soul. And as Romans chapter 3 and chapter 5 discuss, we are all descendants of Adam, so we all carry that breath of God. We are all image bearers of our creator. And there's no way you can justify killing off a, something that God created. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's well said. And sometimes people will challenge us on this. They'll say something about where in the Bible does it talk about the pro-life movement and where does the Bible support pro-life? Well, there are many places you can go, even though it doesn't use those terms exactly, such as Genesis chapter one that talks about man and woman or male and female being created in the image of God. Well, if we are created in man in God's image, we certainly are to be protected. There are many places throughout scripture that talk about God forming us even in the womb or having a purpose for us, like Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 1 that talks about God's plans for him even before he had been created. So there's so much support in Scripture regarding the importance of protecting children, even at that preborn state, that there's no reason that we should decide otherwise. We're going to come back and talk more about this here in just a moment. So stick with us here on A View from the Wall. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. Jonah was a man with great ups and downs. He falls into sin several times in the small four-chapter book that bears his name. Most are familiar with how Jonah ran from God and soon found himself in trouble at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. However, in chapter 2, we read, Then Jonah remembered God. And as Jonah confessed his sin and committed himself to God, he found God's mercy and led a great revival. In the story of Jonah, we see that great sin is no match for God's grace. The Bible says, When we seek Him, we will find Him. Jonah was not perfect. Before the story is over, he will sin again. But let us see that when Jonah turned to God, he was blessed by God. It's a timeless truth we should hold on to today. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. I am a watchman.com. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As Joe and I have continued talking with Evangelist King about her role as executive producer in the new film, Roe v. Wade, we want to take a little time in this last segment to talk about a part of the film and the story of Roe v. Wade that many people aren't familiar with. It's the story of Bernard Nathanson. Now, Dr. Nathanson is portrayed in the film by its producer, Nick Loeb, who has written extensively on his life's journey as an abortion legalization activist, abortion doctor, his change of mind and heart on the abortion issue, and his subsequent religious conversion. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Nathanson. He was in the 1984 film, as Joe mentioned earlier, it's called Silent Scream. He showed what occurs during an abortion and described that a living person is in every pregnant mother's womb. 
It's phenomenal to me to see what changed in his life as he saw the influence through ultrasound technology and still today one of the most effective ways the pro-life movement is using to turn the minds of women considering abortion is this tool of the ultrasound. Joe, talk a little bit about the influence that that's having in our culture today. It makes it a lot harder to take the life of a baby in the womb if you actually know that's what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why the pro-life movement has used ultrasounds very effectively with young women who are considering that procedure, whereas Planned Parenthood abortion clinics do not show them an ultrasound because the last thing they want them to know is that they're killing a living, breathing little heartbeat inside that woman. God made people to connect to other people and moms and dads, especially moms, connect to that beating heart that's inside their womb. And when they see that actual living human being inside, it makes a difference. It literally touches your heart in, and in a place that God put there for that purpose. So the ultrasound machine has been an amazing tool for a lot of reasons, but I think specifically in that case, it changes your perspective when you can see an actual, I mean, with a ultrasound for those who have had a, a child, you've been through this procedure and seen it happen, you know, you can see the heartbeat of that little infant inside the womb. There's no way you can look at that and say, oh, that's not real. It's so true. Dr. Nathanson actually published a memoir called The Hand of God way back in 1996 that described the powerful impact of the ultrasound machine. And this is discussed, and you can get the quote at roevwademovie.com slash fact check. He said that abortion is a blind procedure. The doctor does not see what he was doing. He writes, I was shaken to the very roots of my soul by what I saw upon viewing the procedure. Significantly, his change from pro-abortion to pro-life was based on the empirical evidence sparked by ultrasound technology. Now, this is something that's still powerful today. We are a very visual generation. So when you go to a, a pregnancy care center, for example, and an ultrasound is shown, which is one of the free services many pregnancy care providers will offer, when that woman sees the baby in the ultrasound, that is one of the most effective tools that are used to rescue young lives in the womb today. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're listening and you want to do something about the pro-life movement, it's very difficult sometimes to do something at the national level to change laws or to overturn Roe v. Wade like we've been talking about here today. But there is something you can do on the local level. Most communities have some kind of pregnancy care center place that you can go to that supports the pro-life movement. And I want to encourage you to get involved, whether that's volunteering, whether that's giving your time and money and resources in whatever way you can, and to support the work that they do. Because when you get involved at that local level, you change and rescue lives at the local level and make an impact that will change your community for generations to come. You know, people say that there is no reference in the Bible to abortion, but if you read the book of Leviticus, which is a list of laws, it very plainly says in language that would have made sense to people, you know, 4,500 years ago, it very clearly says if, if a woman swallows a potion or does something physically, in other words, falls down in, on a rock deliberately to try to change something in her womb, that is not something that they should be doing. I mean, God made it very clear 
That's one of the laws that he gave to Moses. Don't do this. So if he knew back then that it was possible, which obviously it was um, later on in the book of Exodus, where they were coming into the promised land. One of the things that it says about the nations that inhabited that place when the Israelites came in was that they sacrificed their children to false gods, literally burning them in the fire and sacrificing their lives to preserve their own. It was very clear that God was trying to prevent that activity as one. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Very few people would argue that it's okay to throw a kid into a burning fire. But the end result, which is a dead child, is no different than if you use a saline solution or a vacuum and suck them out of the womb. The end result is the same. A child who was alive a minute ago isn't now. So if it was wrong in the Old Testament... And we know that God is for life because he created it. It's wrong now. That's well said. And I referred to Jeremiah earlier. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, that was a specific calling to Jeremiah many years ago, but God has a purpose for you as well. He knew you before you were born. He set you apart, and that's true for every child. I want to encourage you to do your part to serve in the pro-life movement at the local level, at the national level, whether through your prayers, your volunteering, your giving. This is not a program where we tell you to come and give to our ministry. This is a program where we stand up for the lives of the preborn and encourage you to join us in doing the same. We're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but we want to encourage you again to check out this movie, RoeVWadeMovie.com is the website. Again, that's RoeVWadeMovie.com. If you check it out, you can get the information about how to get a copy of it, whether to stream it for yourself or if you're a church leader, I do want to encourage you to check out the ways that you can use this to stream as a group to your church, to your small group, or to whatever other event you can in your community. We're in a time right now where there's still many limitations on large events, but you can use a film like this for good. Thank you again for joining us for today's program and encourage you to check it out and share it with others. Listen again and enjoy all of our programs at IamAWatchman.com or wherever you stream your podcast. Join us next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.